say, hey, am I on now? Okay. Uh, say, hey, why, uh, why are you reading from Philippians? I thought we were in Luke. Uh, and so I just want to remind you guys that I told you guys last week we would be doing a part two, uh, that really this is a continuation of where we were last week as we uh, began doing this survey of joy and connection to salvation in the book of Luke. So even though we're really only going to reference Luke today, we are continuing our series in Luke, uh, reference Luke in passing, um, as we, we dig deeper into this idea of having the joy of our salvation. I wanted to stop by or start by um, recognizing something in the book of Luke. And it's specifically something that's very obvious, we, we talk about it all the time. It's, it's that God called Mary to do something very, very hard. She gave her a very, he gave her a very challenging task. A, a young woman, we don't know how old she was, but in that day and age, probably between the ages of 13 and 17, maybe as old as 20, was given a child. That she was, she was pregnant, and she, she had... Uh, that, that baby had no father, no earthly father. And I just want you to imagine for a second being Mary in her world. And here she is pregnant. Now, what are the options for how she became pregnant, right? And she's not married. So the options are like she and, she and Joseph, right? You know, uh, one thing led to another, right? And uh, so, so Joseph's the dad. That's one of the options. Perhaps... One of the options is uh, some kind of secret lover that her parents didn't approve of, right? So that, that's one of the options that's out there. Maybe, maybe it was a one-night stand. Who knows? Maybe she was raped, okay? Those are the options. The option is not virgin birth conceived of the Holy Spirit. Like, we get that, right? As the world observed Mary and saw she was pregnant and not married, none of the options were conceived by the Holy Spirit. Yet when the Lord came to her, when the Lord came to her and said, you're going to carry the Messiah, the Savior is going to be born through you. She has an amazing response. Mary says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She said, sign me up. I'm in. Just think of how ludicrous that is, right? I mean, the Bible is filled with some pretty bananas things that God asked people to do, some really hard things. Asked Noah to build a giant ship in the middle of dry ground. That's pretty nuts, right? He, he told uh, the Israelites to walk around the city of Jericho one day for a week and seven times in the last day and the walls would fall down. These are some pretty bananas things that God asked people to do. And, and they obeyed and God came through. But I think this is one of the harder ones to get my head around. Going to conceive without a dad. And she says, sign me up. May it be to me according to your word. And she took this responsibility with tremendous joy and gladness. And so when she comes to her relative Elizabeth's home, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and Elizabeth says to her, 
And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what has been spoken to her from the Lord. Now last week we just talked about this for a quick second. But the word blessed here is the Greek word makarios, uh, makarios. And that Greek word means happy. Elizabeth recognized what was going on in the life of Mary, that she was carrying the Lord's Son, that God had fulfilled his promise to Mary and to the world, and Mary was happy. She's literally stigmatized. She's scandalized in her culture and in her environment. And yet she says, bring it on, and she's happy about it. This is, this is interesting to me because I think God has called lots of us to do hard things. We have found ourselves in hard places. Some of the stuff we, we volunteered for, we said, sign, sign us up. Some of the stuff we'd say, hard pass, and yet it comes anyway. God sends hard things our way. Hard things happen. Sometimes these hard things are a direct result of our choices and our decisions, our sins and our mistakes. Sometimes these hard things we're experiencing are a direct result of somebody else's hard decisions, mistakes, and sins. I've said before, sin is contagious. It has a tendency to get on other people. And so we find ourselves living in the middle of this suffering and of this hurt. And last week, as we were talking about the, the idea that, that joy and salvation were linked together, I had the audacity to say that as followers of Christ, we should be happy people. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should be happy people. We should be happy people, not because of things of this world, not because of circumstances and things that go on now, presently, but because if we look through the first two chapters of Luke, we see over and over again that these expressions of joy, of gladness, of praise, always go back to what? An announcement of salvation. That our salvation is at hand. The one thing that can't be taken from us is our faith in Jesus Christ, is our hope in him, and our hope in eternity with Christ in heaven, our hope that we have been forgiven, our hope that we are white as snow, a hope that we can be known by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that the creator of the universe loves us. These things cannot be taken away from us. So we can be a happy people. But I said last week, there's going to be some of you who are going to be sitting there. And you're going to go, yeah, yeah, but. And there's going to be these yeah, buts in our life. And I just started thinking about that and praying about that. And, and you know, when I talk about being a happy people, as followers of Jesus, we're to be joyful and happy people. That does not mean that we're always bubbly and giddy. Hi, guys, I'm Brandon. I'm a Christian. You know, like, that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about being happy, okay? 
This is what I would say. If we look at scripture, and I'm going to show you guys, tell you guys a couple of examples of these yeah buts. We see that pain is a part of this world. That hurt is a part of this world. That suffering is a part of this world. That grief is a part of this world. But in Christ, what I would say is these are places we visit. These are not places we live. These are places we visit. These are not places we live. So as we think about this idea of happiness, and we talk about the yeah buts, a few of them came to my mind. I was thinking about uh, Jesus and just some of the expressions of emotion that we see in Jesus. Okay, we see him get angry, right, when the, when the, uh, ta- uh, the money changers are in the temple. He, he gets a whip, and he's like chasing people around, right? Not a happy moment for Jesus. Like, he's pretty ticked, right? We see Jesus, we see Jesus weeping with his friends and family at the loss of Lazarus, his good friend. So we know he's moved with compassion, and he hurts, and he grieves for loss, and he grieves alongside people. Here in Luke, Luke talks about this in Luke chapter 22, that at the end of his life, Jesus is overwhelmed with anxiety, with agony, as he considers the cross that's headed his direction the next day. It says in Luke 22 that he sweat like drops of blood. Now that's some pretty intense agony. That's some hurting. And so when we, when we talk about this idea of being a happy people, I don't want us to think we're not allowed to experience grief. I don't want us to think that we're not allowed to experience pain or hurt. What I want us to see is that anything rooted, anchored in this life is temporal. And because of the joy of our salvation, we can keep our eyes beyond this moment and into eternity. So what I wanted to do today, the reason I had Kate read that passage for us from uh, Philippians chapter 4, is I wanted us to begin to see, are there examples of believers who have been through a lot, who have been hurt a lot, who know pain, physical pain, spiritual pain, emotional pain, and yet still choose joy. So let's go ahead and look again at our passage that we read from Philippians chapter 4. So you have to go with me as we look at Philippians chapter 4. What's our base text for today? Our base text is last week, which was a general survey of Luke 1 and 2, seeing the link between happiness, joy, praise, and thanksgiving and salvation in Jesus Christ. Now let's look at the words of Paul in Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4, all the way through 13. I'm going to read it again. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving... Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I talked about, as we began, that God often places us in hard situations. He calls us to hard things. And the thing that I just want us to understand is, as we face these hard things, he equips us to to walk through them. He equips us to walk through them. And what I want you to see here is God has called Paul to something very difficult and he challenges us to meet him in that call. Paul is in prison as he writes the book of Philippians. He is suffering for the sake of the gospel. And yet he challenges the church to rejoice. He says that he has learned to be content in all situations. He's learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. And then he says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, we love this verse. We love this verse. It goes so good on a t-shirt. It goes great as a tagline on a web page. It makes a wonderful meme for Facebook. But what is this talking about? The context of this verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, is joy in the midst of suffering. I can have joy in the middle of my pain through Christ who gives me strength. That is the context of this legendary verse. So I've said this, okay, as followers of Christ, we should be happy people. Now, what do we mean by happy? Now, again, happy isn't being giddy. It isn't being over-the-top bubbly. It means a consistent spirit of joy, praise, thanksgiving, and contentedness. Being happy is being peaceful. It's being generally glad. Now, last week, what I challenged us with is we have this tendency to separate happiness and joy. And I think we do that as a defense mechanism. We know that Scripture tells us to be joyful, but we don't always feel this emotion of happiness. And I think what we mean is we don't always feel this bubbly giddiness. And to that, I say, of course not. But I think we misdefine happiness. And happiness should be seen as I think Paul frames rejoicing, thanksgiving, and peace and contentment 
in Philippians chapter 4. We see it as this unified character of a follower of Christ. That is one that can face hard times and rest that God is in control. So one of the things he says is that he has learned to be content. Let's talk about this word content, because I think content is really important within this idea of being a happy person. Okay, the idea of being content is this. It is sufficient for oneself. It is strong enough or processing enough to need no aid or support. It is content, independent of external circumstances, meaning... The things around you don't have to change for you to still feel satisfied. It is contented with one's lot. It is contented with one's means, even though you may not have very much. Okay, so to be content is not based on what you're experiencing. It is your state of mind in that experience. That is what it is to be content to accept it, and to see that Christ is sufficient in the middle of it. Within this state of contentment is satisfaction. Am I satisfied with who and what Christ is? Is Christ enough for me? Paul says, He can keep his eye on this list that he provides in verse 8, no matter what, because God can be praised. So look back at verse 8 with me. What does he say our minds need to be trained on? He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He goes on in verse 9 to say, what you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things. Now what this tells us is, this idea of being happy believers is something that is learned. It's learned. It takes time. It's not this thing that, all right, boom, I'm, oh, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, now I'm happy all the time, right? It's it's a discipline. Now, he says to practice these things. Now, what he means there is to do it, to put it into action, but there's a repetitive nature here. It's something you have to do over and over and over again. We have to tell ourselves he is enough so that, what's it say? What's it say? That the peace of God which passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds. Trusting that God is in control, trusting that he is enough. What it says in verse 5, I love this. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. In other words, people should be able to see that you're different. Not because of anything you're doing, not because your circumstances are changed but because your eyes are on Christ and you're beginning to understand more and more that he is enough. 
So he says, and he gives us this list, and I love it. You can see the ups and the downs of his life. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, as I think about this, as I think about what, what Paul has been through in his ministry, this, this ability to be content or to rejoice in all circumstances, this is an extremely hard thing to do. Sometimes we reduce this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, to, to excelling at a sports competition, or to doing well on a school test, or to doing well at an interview for a promotion or a new job. We reduce it to that. We say, hey, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But what I want you to see here is that sometimes the thing that he's called you to is the losing side of whatever that is. It's not that God equips you to always get exactly what you want. It's that sometimes what he's equipping you to is to have joy in the middle of getting exactly what you don't want. And so Paul tells us this story in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I apologize, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where, where he had experienced great suffering and hurt. And he says this, guys, I'm going to mess up your verses. Go on to the one that's uh, 10, or 9 and 10 together, okay? 9 and 10 together. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. It says this, but he said to me, now, before, we, before I dig into this too deeply, Paul was, was greatly uh, burdened by this thorn in his flesh. He had this thing that was causing him pain. I don't know if it's physical pain. I don't know if it's emotional pain. People have been theorizing for hundreds of years. What's Paul's thorn in his flesh? You ask me on one day, I'll tell you I think it's this. You ask me on another day, I'll tell you I think it's that. You know why? Usually I think it is whatever I'm going through at the time. Right? So whatever the situation is, he's got this thorn in his flesh, and Scripture doesn't really tell us what it is, but that this thorn was given to Paul to keep him humble. And I heard this podcast yesterday by Ray Ortland, who, by the way, is coming to our church in February for marriage conference, right? So in this podcast, uh, he's talking with his friend, and, and this was said, what if God wants us to be humble more than he wants us to be comfortable? Ah, right? So this whole reason that God has given him this uh, thorn in his flesh was so that he did not become conceited, okay? He wanted him to remain totally dependent on, on him. God wanted Paul to remain totally dependent on him. Now listen to how this goes. He begs God. He begs God, take this from me. Take this thorn from me. I'm suffering, and this is, this is how the exchange goes. But he said to me, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient. It is enough. There is opportunity for contentment in my grace. Then Paul says this, therefore I will boast 
all the more gladly of my weakness. Now, do you know what the Greek for gladly is here? It means gladly. It's not that complicated, right? I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insult, hardships, persecution, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now this word content here is a different word content than we saw in Philippians. This word content means to delight. It means to take pleasure in. He says, because he's crazy, that he will take delight and pleasure in his weakness, his insults, his hardships. He's going to choose joy in the middle of the worst thing in the world that he's gone through. He's, God, take this from me. Now, what's interesting to me is if we go back and we were to read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which we don't have time to today. 2 Corinthians, why do I keep doing that? 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, if we were to go back and read that uh, today, what we would see is Paul provides a list of the suffering that he's been through. He said he's been in danger from his own people, from, from the Gentiles. He's been in danger on rivers. He's been in danger on the sea. He's been beaten nearly to death a half dozen times. He's been stoned. He's been imprisoned, shipwrecked, spending nights on the ocean. All these things, all this suffering has come upon him. Okay, And no matter what, he's still able to keep his chin up. Then he comes to this point where he's in, in chapter 12, where it seems like this thorn in his flesh is what's really bugging him. Despite all that he's been through, this thorn in his flesh is what's really bugging him. And God's answer to him is, my grace is sufficient for you. What a jerk! God says, no. Stay put. It's not changing. I'm enough. And Paul says, yes, you are. He says, yes, you are. Do you think, do you think he got that right the first time? I don't. Okay? I don't. Now, maybe he did. All right, but I'm going to pretend Paul's more human, okay? And maybe a little less Jesus. And I don't know, maybe we get to heaven and he'll, he'll say, Brandon, you were wrong. Okay, but I, 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 I don't think he got this right every time. I think there were some lonely days. There's no indication in Scripture Paul was married. I'm sure he was lonely sometimes. And he just thought, God, could I have somebody? You know, the, the, he, he doesn't complain very often about his physical body, but if you think about it, he'd been nearly beaten to death several times. Could you imagine how bad he, he ached just walking? And sometimes he's sleeping on cold floors. And I just think, Paul knows physical pain. He knows what it is to get up and to like, all right, okay, uh, okay, we're good. You know, like, he knows that. He knows pain. Paul had lost loved ones. 
he, he had seen friends that he'd invested in walk away from the Lord. And I got to believe on some of those days, he was frustrated with God. But over time, he learned how to be joyful. He learned how to take those thoughts captive and submit them to Christ so that when these things came, he could go back to that list in Philippians and he could train his mind, right, so that he wasn't anxious about anything, but he would take his requests, his supplications to the Lord and he would lay them down before him again. And you know where he would find joy? And knowing that God was listening, knowing that God was hearing him, knowing that God was in control. And because he laid these things down and praised God for who he was, making his requests known, he could put his future in God's hand and have a peace that other people could not understand. And in that peace, he could let his reasonableness be known to everyone. He had to train his mind to think on whatever is pure, whatever is just, whatever is honorable, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. I don't think this happened day one. I think it happened over and over again as he grew in discipline. When it comes to happiness, we are conditioned by our culture to think happiness is an experience. And that's why we want to differentiate between joy and happiness. Because we experience happiness, it comes and it goes. But I think what scripture tells us is happiness is a discipline. And our world goes, that's dumb. I want to experience happiness. I want it to be easy. Sometimes happiness is hard. And sometimes it doesn't make any sense. Why are you happy? Why are you different? Why are you so contented? Why do you have peace? It is a peace beyond all understanding. And it is an opportunity for our reasonableness to be known to everyone. Not because of who we are, but because, like Paul, we have to believe his grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Because in our weakness, what do we need? We need Christ. In our weakness, we can't go on. In our weakness, there is not enough juice left in the tank for the day. So the only way to be joyful, the only way to be happy, the only way to advance is by the power of Christ. Is the grace of God shining and showing through us? It is a firm belief that this world is not our home. It is a firm belief that Christ is sufficient and chasing after the fleeting passions of this world will never satisfy. Now I want to take you guys to Galatians chapter 5. And I want to show you something. In Galatians 5, you go, oh, fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit's there. And what do we know? We know the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Okay, we know where Brandon is going. But I want you to see something interesting as we kick off the fruit of the Spirit. Right before the fruit of the Spirit, we have this, 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 uh, the works of the flesh. And what I want you to see is the empty pursuit of pleasure in the fruit of the flesh. Let's begin in, in chapter 5, verse 19. It says this, 
Now the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we have this fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. We know it. We know the list. All right? When, but then what we see here is, is walking in the Spirit. Paul makes this call in verse 16. We didn't read it today. For us to walk in the Spirit. And what he says here is he defines walking in the Spirit two ways. He talks about it by what it is not. And he talks about it by what it is. And we see here in this idea of when we're not walking in the Spirit, what are we chasing after? These passions that never satisfy. We see it's looking for happiness, for joy, for peace, contentment, and sexual passions, for, for power, for the things we can accomplish through discord and fighting and trying to get people on our side by building coalitions from anger. And let me just ask you this. Does a person who's pursuing, pursuing all their sexual passions, passions for power, uh, discord, fighting, anger, building coalitions, does this sound like a happy person? This sounds like a person who's never satisfied. It's never enough. There's always more. And a lot of times these people say, why can't I get it? It's not fair. I just need a little more. If I just get a little more, it'll be enough. And you know what Solomon says? Solomon says in Ecclesiastes that all of this is vanity and chasing after the wind. It never satisfies. If we chase experience for happiness, it never satisfies. But look at a satisfied life in the Spirit. By walking in the Spirit, in the grace of God, we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. Does that sound like a happy person? person whose life is characterized by happiness and joy. Who do you want to spend time with? Who draws you in? The person of peace, of joy, of gladness, who's kind? Or the one who always has an angle to get something for themselves? What I think we see is that when our eyes are on these passions that are mentioned in the first portion of, of that passage, when our eyes are on those things, it tells us that, that we are focused on things that will pass away. We're focused on things that will pass away, that'll be here today and gone tomorrow. We make something that was never meant to be ultimate, ultimate. And in many times... It reveals something that's broken and wrong in our heart. If these are the things that we want, if these are the things that we value. Because the truth of the matter is, 
all of these earthly things will pass away. And that's not always easy. Sometimes it's very hard. When we think about things that pass away, sometimes it's good things that pass away. It's not just these passions and desires that we couch as something evil. All things of this world are going to pass away, even the good things. So sometimes as we experience this world passing away, it can be really hard. Losing a loved one can be brutal. An illness can mean days, months, years of pain. Losing your retirement in the stock market or your house in a fire or a tornado can leave you waking up wondering, what do I do next? So to say to a believer that you should never be sad or angry or hurt or frustrated or anxious, it's just unfair and mean. So what I don't want you to hear me saying is that you can never be angry, you can never be mean, you can never be, or sorry, you should never be mean, I guess. Uh, you should never be angry or hurt or frustrated or anxious, right? Like, I don't want to say that. We live in a fallen world, and these feelings are completely normal places to visit. But in Christ, we can't live there. We can't live there. We have to choose each day to take those thoughts and submit them to Christ. When we live in these feelings, we're saying that these things of this world are ultimate. We're saying that our hope is here. But as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about a passage in 1 Thessalonians where, where Paul says that he doesn't want us to grieve as those who have no hope. As we experience the loss and pain of this world, we do not grieve these losses and that pain as those who have no hope. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our hurt, we have hope. And in part of that hope is understanding that we have a God who has suffered. He suffered bodily in the form of Jesus Christ. He knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it was to be rejected. He knew what it was to be shamed. He knew what it was to have his body broken. He knew what it was to die. Joseph is never mentioned in the Bible after the Christmas story. Every indication is that Joseph is dead. He knows loss. Jesus has experienced the loss of his earthly father, almost certainly. And God the Father knows loss. As God the Father sent his son, He's a God who chose to suffer with us. And so we can come before him boldly. He is a God who understands, who knows, who is not far, but is close. And as we think about his closeness, we can have joy. We can be a happy people. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, I, I thank you and praise you for all that you've done. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. 
Lord, we thank you that you give us an eternal hope that is beyond our moment. Much like Paul, whom you did not remove his thorn, you have not promised us that all of our earthly hurts and pains will be fixed in this life. But God, you have promised us that all of our hurts and pains will be no more in eternity. So Father, help us to see how you are at work today. Help us to rest in your grace and see your grace as sufficient. To see that your power is made perfect in our weakness. Lord, help us, like Paul, on our dark days to know your joy as you are the one who lives through us and works through our brokenness. Father, help us to have our eyes set on eternity, not on tomorrow, not even on today, but to know that the whole of our eternal existence is firm and secure in your hand where there will be no more pain, no more mourning, crying, or tears, for the old order has passed away. But Father, as we live in this old order, give us strength, give us perseverance, give us determination, and let us walk forward in your spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen.